and she's doing okay. She's not sure what, what was going on, so I just continue to be in prayer for her. Um, any of you guys have ever been through any kind of you know, health scare, if you will, uh, the worst thing that could ever happen is you go through it alone. Um, and so uh, we're thankful that we were able to be here for her and with her and uh, that we're able to get her attention quickly. We'll just pray for, for her to recover. And if there is something, like I said, to, to figure out, then I pray they figure that out quickly for her so that she can, uh, she can begin that process. I um, just wanted to remind you or let you know of an email that we sent out a couple weeks ago, and then we resent out this week and a, a post on Facebook. We've just got some little, little projects around here. There's an exit sign right there, as a matter of fact, that needs changed out. We already have the exit sign um, in, in, in storage over there. I just need to unplug that one, if you will, and, and put up a new one. we got some exterior lights. There's already fixtures there, no power required, it's already there. We just got to hook it up um, and things like that. If you're skilled in those things, we got some littler things that need done here and there. Um, as, as things come up, we'll have a work day later on this fall for leaves. The neighbors love to share their leaves. I don't, I don't know. We don't have a tree on the property, but, but we get all these leaves. It's just the craziest thing. Um, it is amazing. So if, if you're someone that has some time, maybe in the afternoons or whenever, and could, could drop by and do some of those things, just let us know. We'd love to have you uh, help us out. We had someone um, stop by yesterday. We've got a brand new sink put in in the kitchen. It looks awesome. It's, it's incredible uh, what they're able to do. And if you noticed at the drop-off, the, the poles are now turning white which was the intent from the very beginning, but, but they're just now getting that done. And it's, it's awesome to, to be able to see that. So thankful for those that are chipping in and, and helping out. And, and please, please, please use this um, as we go through it. Take some notes, write some things down. The text today is very small because we're just doing the very introduction. Literally, the first four verses is all we're going to look at today. And so um, you have plenty of, of space, but we'll be skipping around through Luke as we cover the entire book, and you'll be able to find it and go right to it um, and, and write down whatever God speaks to you. Maybe it's an idea you get you, as you read throughout the week. Use this to read from and, and see it and go, oh, and jot that little note or that little idea down and see how God might be able to use that uh, as, you, as you move forward. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but don't you love a good investigation of something? A really good, solid, like deep dive into something, trying to solve something, the, the who's, the where's, the what's, the when's, the why's, the how's. Are you curious? Are you a, a curious person at all? Because here's what we're going to do. As a family, we are going to take a very, very deep dive into the, a look at the life of our Savior. And we're going to do it from a very unique perspective. The, the man's name was Luke. First and foremost, he was a believer in Jesus. Beyond that, he was a, a physician, an actual medical doctor of the day. And many now, of course, consider him a historian because of the words that he recorded for us. But why Luke? That's a great question. Luke has some flaws if you think about who he was. Um, but let me start with this. When God brought me to Berea um, over three years ago now, almost three and a half years ago now, he led me to, to preach through the book of John. Now, I will confess, John is absolutely my favorite gospel for lots of reasons, and you'll hear those come out over time. But here's the reason, the real reason why we picked John. I felt it was so important that as we began this journey together over three years ago, that all of us start together on the same page with Jesus and who he was, that we're all headed down that same road. And as, but as we progressed through that series, something else came to mind. God gave me another idea. You see, Jesus' ministry, as far as we can tell, basically lasted about three years. So in three years, he changed the entire world. 
just three years. He trained just 11 men, really, because the 12th one bailed on him. And then countless other followers took his message across the world. Now, I would say it worked pretty well because we're sitting here 2,000 years later, if you think about it. And after Jesus' earthly ministry was completed, within really a fairly short time span, probably less than 50 years, there were these four different accounts that came about of Jesus' life, what he did, what he said, how people responded to what he said. And so God gave me an idea in the midst of that series on John. What if about every three years or so, the length of Jesus' ministry, we took time to fully rediscover Jesus together as the church? What if every three years we took one of the books that God has given us and we focused fully and completely on Jesus within the family of Berea. Now, I thought that was a pretty awesome idea. And to be very honest, how could it possibly go wrong? <laughs> the Word of God never returns void. And I think there's a pretty certain reality that all of us should share, that we need to be fully focused on Jesus. Amen. What better way to do just that? And here's the best part. As God leads new people in our direction... What are we going to very consistently be doing on a scheduled basis? Taking whoever is new amongst, amongst us through the entire life of Jesus, just every few years. And we're going to accumulate more and more people that have never heard the entire life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, many of you in the room today weren't with us when we went through John. So it'll be a whole new experience. So church, thanks for keeping me around for round two. <laughs> In just 12 years, we'll have all four Gospels covered. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But why Luke? Why Luke? He wasn't even a disciple. He never even met Jesus. No idea who the man was. So why would we choose his account instead of one of the others? Well, like I said, we're pretty confident Luke never met Jesus personally. Whereas Matthew and John were one of the 12. They knew him intimately. Well, we've already studied John, so that kind of takes care of that one. Most of the other scholars believe that Mark's gospel is actually Peter's account of Jesus' life. Although, if you didn't know this little secret about the Bible, it is quite possible that Mark, the author of the book, is actually mentioned in Scripture. He's hiding, though, in the book of Mark. He wrote himself in this way. In Mark chapter 14, verse 51, they think this is him. It says, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. This was in the night in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was arrested. They'd come to arrest Jesus. And it says in verse 52 that this young man fled naked, leaving his garment behind. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of scholars believe that that was little boy Mark who hung out with the 12 as Jesus was teaching. And so his account was somewhat firsthand, but he was a kid, and he learned the other things from the other disciples, probably Peter. So why Luke then? Well, here's one great reason, because Luke was a convert like you and like me. He chose to follow Jesus, and he did so before a careful investigation of the truth. Something led Luke to faith. Something caused him to believe, just like you 
and just like me. And now he wanted to take his faith, his personal faith, if you will, and he wanted to define it further. He wanted to be able to persuade others. He wanted other people to have a full explanation of the truth of Jesus. He wanted them to have a firm foundation of their faith in Jesus, a foundation that could withstand the attacks of the culture that they lived in, and a foundation that would give them the strength and the courage to share their faith with others. Now, do you happen to think that that might be something that's important in our culture today? Now, Luke disguises this. He says he wrote it, and we'll talk about why he says he wrote it and things like this. But I think Luke, being a doctor, partially wrote it to convince himself. I want proof. I want to know. Give me the details. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I need to know the facts. It would make sense. Why Luke? Why Luke? We use Luke all the time in the church. One of his passages in particular you probably hear and or read every single year. It's called Luke chapter 2. What's in Luke chapter 2? Christmas. That's right. Therefore, there went out this decree from Caesar. Yeah, you know the story. There it is. Every year we read from that, it becomes commonplace. It's the go-to story for Christmas. But when was the last time you studied his whole account? How do some of Luke's more famous texts fit in to the narrative of the whole book? Why is his account so much more detailed than all the other guys? Why Luke? Why Luke? Luke is proof that his faith, like ours, does not need to be a blind faith. His faith is grounded in truth, in real places, in real cities, in real towns that you and I can go visit today, with real-life historical events that took place. Place. Luke documented historically provable leaders, rulers, government officials, priests, you name it, all tied into the story of Jesus and the origins of the church in the book of Acts. It's an incredible thing that he did for us. And I love the start of series like this. Now, I know a lot of pastors just dive right into the text, and there's nothing at all wrong with that. That's probably better, to be quite honest, to be, to be completely genuine. But I really like doing this because I am a curious person. I've told you that before. If there's dirt moving, I really want to know what's being built. I want to know what's made in that factory. I want to know what's stored in that warehouse. I just have a desire to find things out. I'm a curious person. For us, the more we know about the author, why he wrote this letter, who he wrote it to, the better we can understand what we read and then figure out how it applies to us because it's just fun to learn new things. So who was Luke? That's a great question. As I said earlier, first he was a believer, second a physician, and then third a historian. Tradition holds that Luke was actually an artist as well. He was a painter. Don't know if that's true, but it's kind of cool to think about. If he was, indeed. We do know more than likely he was born in Antioch in the modern-day country of Syria. He was taught the science of medicine, and we know for a fact he was not a Jew. Paul records in Colossians 4 a list of, of some of his very close co-workers who are Jews. Luke was with him and wasn't in the list. And in verse 14, Paul specifically identifies Luke as the doctor. Now, if you're aware 
of Paul's evangelistic methods, shall we say, you might be able to understand why it could come in handy to have a doctor around. Think about that. Have you ever made that connection between Luke and Paul? God provided exactly what Paul needed as he traveled. Now, Luke wasn't on every one of Paul's missionary journeys, but he is mentioned alongside throughout much of the book of Acts and at least three of Paul's letters specifically. We don't know when or even how Luke came to faith. It's kind of a mystery. Early church tradition, which may or may not be true, suggests that he actually was converted by Paul himself in the city of Troas. Maybe Paul needed some medical attention after one of his revivals which sometimes concluded with him being drugged outside the city and stoned to death. He needed somebody to care for him. Maybe Luke was the guy that witnessed all that had gone on, went out to care for him, and I'm sure Paul would have shared the good news with him in that moment, right? Luke likely wrote his gospel in the late 50s, early 60s, somewhere, not the 1950s. Sorry, those of you that are here. Slightly before that, although Les did share with me that he was probably around then. The other day, because he and God had a discussion about light a long time ago, so pretty sure he was around for that. The reality is it was probably somewhere around 20 years or so after the time of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. So that timing is really important because there still would have been actual eyewitnesses living to share with Luke the story, the life, the ministry of Jesus since he never got to meet Jesus in person. The traditional order of writing the Gospels is that Matthew was written first, likely within just 10 years after the resurrection. Then Mark came second, they think, Luke third. And we know John was was probably the final one toward the end of John's life. And his account is very different because of that. But there's something you probably didn't know, which I didn't until I was really digging into the research and getting deep into this stuff. I was taught, like most of you, that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Did you know that's not actually true? He didn't write a majority of the New Testament. Now, Paul did write the majority of the books or letters in the New Testament. That's true. But Luke's content is actually greater when you combine Luke and Acts than all of Paul's works combined. Paul wrote 87 chapters and Luke only wrote 52. But beyond that, Luke has the most verses by more than 100. He wrote more than 2,100 verses where Paul's just over 2,000, but the most words by far. Luke's gospel in in the book of Acts consists of over 50,500 words, and Paul comes in at a measly 43,200. Yeah, you didn't know that. I thought Paul wrote it all. Well, he did write a lot, but Luke actually has the greatest amount of context. It's so detailed and specific. That's why. So here we go. If you've got that little journal with you, if you haven't opened that yet, you can look at it here. We're only looking at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1 today. Luke 1 through 4. Luke 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke writes these words, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. What a name. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. There's a lot to unpack in those four verses. 
Luke opens by telling us, hey, everybody, I'm not the only one writing these things down, just so you know. I'm not the only one doing this. There's many who have started this process, writing up these accounts of this brand new way of living, this brand new faith, this brand new religion about this guy named Jesus. He reveals that the information is not his own, that he's getting the events of Jesus's life, that they've been handed down to him from eyewitnesses, from other people's recordings. He's confessing that right up front. He is not an eyewitness. And this is a vital piece of information. But in our culture today, it's one that's often looked down upon. As I alluded to several weeks ago, in our culture, when when we want to remember something, we write it down, right? We record it in some form, or we tell Alexa to write it down for us, right? Something, I need to add that to the list. We don't do it ourselves. We have someone do it for us. But but we have a method of, of remembering things. Now, in the ancient times, of course, that was impossible, And the data is crazy. When you look at the ancient world and you you read the statistics on literacy in the ancient world, first, how do you find those stats? Like, how do you put that poll together? How do you accumulate that data? You can't really go back and ask. The numbers are everywhere from 3% of people were literate to 53% of people were literate. That's a pretty big margin. That's a big gap between folks. The reality in the most surveys get it down to between 5 and 20% of people with obviously the 20% being the more wealthy, the more educated people, the 5%, obviously all, um, very few females would have. They weren't instructed in those ways back then. And then even the males who didn't attend school, things like that, again, weren't wealthy, would not have been able to, to read or write. So people that couldn't write things down, and those that could write it down, very few people could read what you wrote. So what was the point anyway? It made oral tradition the best and quite honestly only way to share most information. Now, we've come to rely on our modern ways of remembering things. But as I talked about several weeks ago, we know the truth. What do we really remember anymore? We look things up all the time. We store it somewhere, but we don't really retain a lot of that information. Why? Because we can just go look it up again. I don't need to remember how to do this or that. I can just Google it real quick, and it's still there. Or I can put a bookmark even, and I can save it. And I'm there. I can just pull it up every time. Or you could use your brain and remember that God did give us that for a reason, Matters of importance in ancient culture were passed down, shared from person to person. It was detailed and it was very, very accurate. In the Jewish faith, for example, the Jewish children had to memorize very large chunks of the Torah. This wasn't on accident and it wasn't just to remember it. It's so that they would actually apply it to their life, live out the word of God. Not such a bad idea. So Luke sought sought to take all these oral accounts, all these oral traditions, all the eyewitness accounts, all those things, and fuse them together in an actual historically accurate document, one that would be reassuring to believers and proof for the skeptic. Now, one of the things that I find fascinating, and, and if you've never thought about Luke's gospel in particular, because he says this at the beginning, I want you to think deeply about this. Every story we read, every miracle that was performed, every event that occurs, every teaching that Jesus taught, I want you to think about this idea. Who did Luke talk to? Who did he sit down with at Starbucks and have coffee and talk to? Who gave him that information? Think about it. It's a, it's a fascinating thought. 
Luke's never heard these stories before. This is brand new information to him. Imagine the storyteller sharing with him. Now, most people are pretty convinced he talked to Mark, the author of the book of Mark, who probably had already written his account by the time Luke writes his. Surely he talked with Peter, right, and heard his stories. He had to have spoken to John at somewhere along the way. They were definitely contemporaries. We know for a fact he spent time hearing and recording Paul's conversion story because we find that story in the book of Acts. But who did he talk to to get the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist that we'll talk about in the next two weeks? You see, Luke is the only one that records all the details of that event and the angel coming to Zechariah in the temple. He's the only one. Who gave him those details? I want to know. It'd be so cool. How about that Christmas story we read every year? Who told him about Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus? How about the encounter between Mary and Elizabeth that we'll talk about next week? Who told him about that? Where did he get that information? Maybe he was able to talk with some of the people that were actually physically healed or touched or changed by Jesus himself or at worst, their family members, their kids who got the story from mom and dad. What an incredible thought. Imagine from Luke's perspective what it would have been like to hear those accounts and then be given the honor of recording those accounts so that the truth of Jesus will live on. Do you think there's any chance on this earth that Luke ever dreamed that his work would be read 2,000 years later on a continent that didn't even exist yet, according to history? No. (laughs) It's phenomenal to think about the scope of a work like this. Luke sets out to take all of these eyewitness accounts, all of the written accounts, all the things he can get his hands on, and put them in an orderly sequence. Yes, out of all the Gospels, Luke is the closest to actual chronological order of Jesus' life. And for the most part, if you own a chronological Bible, which I do, if you look at it, it pretty much completely follows Luke as the narrative, and all the other events and all the other things recorded in the other Gospels are just neatly positioned within the book of Luke if you didn't notice that. So if you ever wondered, how did they know how these things, well, they use Luke. That's how they knew. It's detailed. It's accurate. His training and his work as a physician not only gave him the writing skills necessary, but it gave him the investigative skills, the discernment skills, the critical thinking skills needed to process what had to have been an incredible amount of information and put it in a reliable and readable and relatable form for all of us. And one really interesting thing that he throws in there is he states that this book was written to a specific person. Hmm. Interesting. But his intent would have clearly been to reach a wider Gentile audience. You see, none of the other gospels start anything like this at all, right? They're all totally different than this. Luke says very specifically, I am writing to the most excellent Theophilus. We just don't have names like that anymore, sorry. We just don't. And kids would probably get made fun of if the name was Theophilus, although we'd call them Theo, so that wouldn't be bad, right? Anyway, who is this guy? You would think being recorded like this in history that he would be somebody that we could easily research and figure out exactly who this guy was. Not so fast. Doesn't work that way. 
Who was this guy? Well, here's a few things we do know. Luke uses this exact same introduction in Acts as well as he's writing about a, a couple of kings, if you will, Roman leaders that Paul interacts with, the most excellent Felix and the most excellent Theophilus. So this was clearly a greeting reserved for people in positions of either authority or power or wealth or something like that. But beyond that, we don't have a clue. There's some scholars that have some theories. I like the first theory myself the best, but who knows which one's accurate. Some people believe that he was a very influential man in the city of Antioch, and that possibly he was one of the individuals that helped to support Paul's missionary journeys. So he was kind of this private underground funnel to Paul to help him pay for all of these things that he would do. Have you ever wondered? Paul was a tent maker, but that's no way that could have funded everything that he did missionarily. And we know the money that Paul got from the churches. What did he do with that? Well, he sent that right back out usually to Jerusalem, to the churches there that were in such great need. So somebody had to be financing this endeavor. Maybe it was this Theophilus. Some people believe it was actually a Jewish high priest from Jerusalem. His name was Theophilus ben Ananus. Maybe that was this Theophilus. Or maybe it was a Roman lawyer who helped Paul in some of his uh, issues along life's way. But you see, all of that is speculation. We don't know who it was, and it doesn't really matter, so let's focus on what we do know. We know this. We know that he was a man, a man that Luke really, really, really wanted to provide a very detailed and historical account so that the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus would continue to spread throughout the Roman Empire, and this man, Theophilus, was going to be able to help make that happen. Luke closes his introduction by telling the reader that through this account, you will know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Theophilus was either a man of faith already, and Paul, or Luke was writing this to say, yes, great job, you accepted Jesus, now here's some absolute truth behind it, facts. Or Luke is trying really hard to persuade this guy, and he's, put, he's all in. <laughs> he's a fellow brother, he's somebody, he knows this guy, and he wants to convince him fully. But there's something in the NIV, in the translation that you're reading there before you, the one I use on the screen that's missing, just a little bit of detail, and I actually just spoke it a moment ago, where the NIV says that know the certainty of, know, know for certain. That's pretty absolute, but the Greek is actually even more absolute. The Greek translation of it says it this way, so that you may know the exact truth, no wavering, no doubt whatsoever. So the book of Luke is a careful investigation into the absolute truth of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. Luke wrote this account first as a believer himself. Remember, as he's hearing these stories, what is he doing? He's confirming what he already believes in his heart. He's confirming in his mind what he already knows to be true. But now he's hearing these firsthand accounts that just make it more and more true. He's already in love with Jesus. He's given his entire life and now even dedicated his vocation, that of being a physician to the service of God as he travels with Paul across the Roman Empire, preaching and sharing the good news. Luke shares a portrait of Jesus as the Savior for all people. And this is a big difference between the other Gospels and Luke. Luke is very intentional about who he mentions, where they're at, why Jesus shouldn't be there, how people didn't like him because he was there, because Luke wants, to know, wants everyone to know that Jesus is for everyone. He shares this portrait of the Savior. We're going to talk a lot about that through the miracles he performs that Luke chooses to point out. Luke was a Gentile, you see. He wasn't a Jew. 
He was traveling with Paul to reach the Gentile world. So he's got to let them know that this Jesus is for you, not just for the Jews. Over the course of the next, yes, I'm going to say this word, year, almost a full year, we're going to look at every element that Luke included as a part of this investigation into the life of Jesus. Now, that might seem like a long time, but wow, did this last year fly by. It's September already. It's over, actually. October starts Friday. Did you know that? (laughs) Ah, or is it Saturday? Maybe it's Thursday. I don't know. One of these days this week, October starts. I, I don't know which day it is. It might seem like a daunting task to cover it in such detail, but is it worth it? Think about it. Is it worth it to dig in really, really deep into the life of our Savior? That's not to make us feel guilty if we haven't already done that. That's not it at all. It's, help, it's to help us see the value of knowing Him as well as we possibly can. But as I told you at the beginning, we we're talking about the books. We're going to do it in a way I've never done it before. I had two options. A, I could go through the book in chronological order, just systematically going through as it reads. Or B, I got another idea. And so I shared with some other folks that I trust their advice. And I said, hey, what do you think about this other idea? And they all liked it better. And so here's what we're going to do. I've separated the book of Luke into a few major themes. And so beginning next week, we're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus and how their stories are are parallel. It's a very curious thing. Then we're going to move on to Jesus' preparation for ministry and look at every single miracle that Luke records in his book. We're going to cover eventually every single one of Jesus' teachings together throughout the book. We'll separate those from the miracles and actually teach just the the teachings that Luke gave us. We're going to take some breaks along the way. There'll be the traditional break for Christmas. Don't worry, Easter will be a little part carved out. All of those things will happen. We're actually going to take a look at some of Jesus' teachings that Luke gave us on the end times. Wait a minute. I thought that was just the book of Revelation. (laughs) Nope. Not at all. Actually, Jesus had a few very, very specific end-time revelations in the Gospel of Luke. We'll look at those probably in about August of 2022. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I know it's crazy to think about, right? But don't wait. Just when we get there, I'll remind you. Oh, that was a year ago almost that I said that. Where did time, I know, it's fascinating. With our ultimate question every week being this, why did Luke choose to write about this? Of all the stories he heard, of every account that he think, everything he absorbed in, why did he choose that? As he went from person to person and heard the incredible events of Jesus' life, why are these the ones that he recorded? What was it about each of these that Luke believed would help Theophilus? but also you and I, be certain of what we believe. Better yet, why did the very Spirit of God choose these specific examples to have for us, to have access to today? It's a curious thing. We're going to take our time. We're going to be very, very thorough. We're going to do something that's going to be very, very difficult. We're going to try to stick to just what Luke says. Really easy to bring in the other Gospels information but I'm going to try really hard not to do that. Why? Here's why. We want to stick to Luke's investigation since he was one of these very earliest accounts, and he didn't probably include a lot of information from those others, although, like I said, there's a bit of Mark flavor to some of the things that that Luke records for sure. 
God led him to choose these events, choose the right events, the right teachings to ultimately fulfill his purpose in writing. We are blessed to have the entire book. We have this entire Bible so we can take all the bits and pieces of the Gospels and, and put them together. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal resource. But what we're going to do is we're going to dig in like the first believers would have. We just got the one thing. We don't have all the other letters. We don't have all the other books. We've just got this one thing to focus on like they did. You see, there's something very simple and very meaningful to taking the purity of just one text and giving it our full, undivided attention. Now, when we conclude the study, we'll go back as a church to, to the whole full study, the whole gospel, absolutely, all, all of God's word. But for the moment, we're going to focus just on Luke. Now, as a part of this journey, one of the things I'm going to do is each week, during the week, we'll send out a push notification and an email, and we'll probably put it on Facebook too, of what text is for that coming Sunday. Since we're not going in order, that way you'll know, hey, if I read these few chapters for this week, I'll be prepared for what's ready for us on Sunday morning. Here's what's awesome when you do that. If you'll participate in that game with me, God will prepare your heart for something that you don't know. Because you'll read that text and you'll get one idea and one thought and one thing in mind. But then you'll come into worship on a Sunday morning and something that's said or done or a song that's spoken or, or something that's preached from this word will challenge what you thought or it will reaffirm what you thought. It, it'll, just, it'll be just different. And you'll go, what do, I, what do I do with that? And you'll be, it'll just be really interesting how that happens. So watch for those that happen. That will begin happening this next week. Now, here's something I can promise you. That plane will not be perfect. It will change over the course of a year. Don't worry. All right, things are going to get moved around and stuff's going to happen. We're studying in such a unique way, though, that I thought this might be a help to all of us, guide us through this. So I'm going to end with a few questions for you. How great is it that you and I get to study the life of Jesus together? That we have this resource? How great is it that God can use this to help us grow in our personal relationship with Him? How great is it that God is growing us so that we can be better prepared and equipped to reach out to those around us that have questions, those that do not know Jesus yet, those that have had a bad experience with the church or with religious people, maybe. You see, this you couldn't pick a better time than this, a study like this, to invite someone in who's doing their own investigation into Jesus. So will you pray with me that the Spirit will first move pre-believers Remember, we don't have non-believers. There's no such thing. Everyone's one step away. Everyone's one decision away. Everyone is right there. We just got to help them across that line. Pre-believers, will you pray that the Spirit will move pre-believers into the relationship with Jesus that they were created for? That's something they've probably never thought about. And will you pray that us believers... We'll develop a deeper understanding and appreciation for and a better relationship with our Jesus. There's something I said in several sermon series ago. It was a long time ago, but I'm going to keep repeating it. Remember this. We will never, ever, ever become who Jesus wants us to be by remaining who we are. If you came in today and leave here the same today, you somehow missed that connection with Jesus. He wants you to be different. Every encounter, every moment, every breath, he wants you to change, to become more like him. Let this be a tool 
that we can use together to do that. Father God, we are so, so thankful for your word. It's incredible, this gift. Father, as we study together, may you open our minds, our hearts. Father, will you lead us to open our Bibles, to intentionally study your word. Father, to grow closer to you. Father, to develop the strength and the courage to reach out to others. So many of us are afraid to share our faith. We're afraid of what others might say. We're afraid to, to not have the understanding we need in order to answer their questions. Father, this, this is exactly what this book is for. This letter was written to convince us, to make us absolutely certain of the truth of Jesus and the truths we will learn will equip us and prepare us to handle whatever comes our way. But Father, in reality, we should never rely upon our own selves and our own knowledge to handle those situations. Father, we need to have faith in your spirit within us. Allow your spirit to speak to us and speak through us to others. The pre-believers in our families, the pre-believers at our, our jobs, the pre-believers in our communities, people that just don't have a relationship with you yet, give us the words to speak so they can move into the relationship they were always created for. What a thought. Father, we love you, and we look forward to this incredible study together. It's in Jesus' name we pray.